First things first, this morning, uh, there is another fuller here uh, this morning. And so if a fuller comes, they have my genetic makeup. Right, I have to recognize him. So my aunt Gail is here, over here by Mariana. And I promise I won't embarrass you more, but can you just stand up? Because I want to make a point. So you guys can see from my aunt Gail, one of two things. You can either tell where I got my amazing looks. Or, or where I got my height. You guys decide. Okay? <laughs> or she says my brains too. Yeah. But she is here from Atlanta. Uh, she took Karina, uh, my oldest daughter, on a trip. And then she came to visit us for the last several days. Uh, she's my, my cool aunt. All right? The aunt that takes you to do really fun things. Uh, when I was young. And then now when my kids are young. So she's a cool aunt. And she's also a cool great aunt. Uh, but I just wanted to recognize her. And then next, the, the other fuller sitting beside me. Um, she's back. Uh, yes. So when you wake up on a Sunday morning and your wife spends some time on the floor not responding to you, <laughs> and then you go to the emergency room and she does the same thing and she's on a gurney and you're rolling around and following her in the hospital and, and I'm used to being in the hospital right? that's where I work but when I look down and it's my wife laying there it was a completely different perspective when she's in the floor at our house and I'm trying to get her to come back get her to be conscious and taking her to the emergency room my entire perspective about how much I care for my wife in that moment it was incredible how it changed and I realized what a privilege it is to be her husband and I want us this morning, she's back, you can see she's upright, um, everything is, is well. Um, but as we think about this morning, and we're going to preach, I'm going to preach what I was going to preach last week. And I want us in a similar way, is that, that experience, being there with her and participating in that, it changed my perspective and it made me realize how privileged I am. And I want us to think about this morning, and I want us to change our perspective. And I want us to realize how privileged we are. That we get to read this book. That we get to know our God. That we get to gather together, we get to do that, that we can take this time. It's not that we've got to go to church, we've got to be together. We get to come to church. We get to be together. We get to listen to God's Word. We get this book that He's written to us. And we can know what He thinks. We can understand who He is. Like, that is a privilege. That is, our perspective should change. This is not just an ordinary thing. It's not just something that we do. But imagine... If we couldn't hear from the Lord, if we didn't know Him, if He wouldn't have revealed Himself to us, if Jesus Christ would not have gone to the cross and died for us, 
if our relationship couldn't be restored with God, if we couldn't come here and listen to His Word and consider God and praise Him and worship Him, so I want us to have that perspective. I want us to realize how privileged we are as we gather together as brothers and sisters. So we're going to do what we were going to do last week. Abbreviated. I know you guys read through the book of Philippians as we're starting that together. We're going to be going through that over the next few months. And you guys read through that in English and Spanish last week. And we read through it in some versions that were a little bit easier to understand, a little more simple. Because the idea was to get just a general understanding of Philippians. What was going on and what happens. And so we can become familiar with it. But I want to ask you guys, is anyone here a Philippian? We have no Philippians in the house. Anyone here Greek? Andy? Andy's like our representative from Greece. Right. Sort of. Anyone here been to Philippi? Anybody here been to Greece? A couple? Alright, so you guys really, we don't have any Philippians, and nobody's here has been to Philippi. You, you guys are not much, not much help. So when you go somewhere, or when you're going to, in, in my case, go to, go to a city or go to a place that you've never been, and you guys know nothing about, we could just jump in and we could go there. But I don't think, unless we kind of do some research and we make some plans and consider, like, what is this going to look like? What was life like in Philippi? What, what was it like to be a Philippian? What was going on at that time? We could jump in the book and we would miss a lot of things. And I was asked this morning, oh, are you Argentine? And I got to say with a smile, no. But, okay, I've been to Argentina. I spent some time in Argentina. But before I went, I read about Argentina. I wanted to understand, like, what's life going to be like when I get there? What are the people going to be like? What's their history? What's going on? So that when I arrive and we experience and interact with these different individuals and these families, I want to have some idea of what's going on and what I'm looking at and what's behind it. And one of the most important things to me, I never played soccer in my life. I never played football, the real football. But I heard in Argentina, they love football. Okay? They worship football. All right? And I want to know, I want to see, I want to experience football when I go. And I'm like, I've been, I, I grew up in the South, right? College football, American football, like that's big. It's a big deal. And people are like, oh, no, 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 this is bigger. You've never seen anything like it. And so I said, well, I need to read about football before I go. And we were going to Buenos Aires. 
And I knew I wanted to go see La Boca Junior, a team there. And it tells me here in this book, it says, try not, when you go, try not to look like you don't belong. And it says, just take the money you need. Don't bring anything that's of any value. This is going to the game. And most important, make sure you don't wear the other team's colors. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. It says, get there hours before kickoff so that you can get in on time and you'll watch the excitement grow. Now at this stadium in, in Buenos Aires, it's called La Bombonera. The, the chocolate box because of the way it's shaped and it says when you get there you will start to feel the stadium shake as people start to jump up and down and they'll jump up and down for the entire match I got there all of that's true and so much more it was an incredible experience but I know I appreciated it more because I had read and I had some general understanding some of it made sense to me when the pastor that we went with says uh, yeah you need to wear a gray shirt okay no colors when he says when we walk to the stadium you keep your eyes down don't make contact with anyone and when we're on our way to the stadium and there's police with riot gear completely with a shield and a helmet and sticks on each side of the road making everybody stay on the path to the stadium when they locked us in after the game so that the visiting team so that their fans could leave all at once before we left I said, this is serious, serious stuff. Now, if I had not read that, if I had not had someone with me explaining what was going on, all of that would have made no sense to me. There, there, there are police here in riot gear. They're, they're locking me in the stadium. They won't let me leave. But because I had that information, it made sense to me. And as we go somewhere else, as we experience a different people, we need to understand that history, that background, so that we can make sense of it. And so since no one's Philippian and no one's been to Philippi, we're going to spend some time today doing some research, spending some time in, so we can understand what we read. So the first thing, you guys turn to Philippians 1. It says, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus Paul is writing and he's most likely writing from a jail cell in Rome he's been in prison and he's writing to this church that's in Philippi the, the, the believers that are in Philippi and the first thing we should ask is well what's his relationship who is Paul and what's his relationship with these people in Philippi why is he writing to them? Does he know them? Has he experienced and had a relationship with them? And you can look on the next slide. Here is a timeline. At the very top, you can see the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Right after that, the Holy Spirit comes, the church begins. And then as we read in Acts 8, it says this man Saul is persecuting the church. This man Saul is the same Paul that we read here. Okay? God gives him a new name later, but this is the same man, the same individual. And I want you to understand his background. I want you to understand his perspective, where he came from, what God did in his life. So let me read from Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. You guys follow along. It says, in Saul, which is Paul here, he approved of his, of his execution. And this is talking about Stephen, a leader in the church, had just been executed, has just been stoned to death. And Paul was in the crowd, and Paul was behind this, and he approved. He's like, I wanted him stoned. I wanted him killed. And then he says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they, talking about the people in the church, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is the man that's writing the book that we're going to read. When the church first started, he was dragging people off. He was persecuting the church. He was taking men and women to prison. If they believed, if they professed Jesus Christ, he wanted them put away. But as he continues to persecute the church, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. His relationship with Jesus changes completely. And then we see later in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 19 through 21, again read with me. It says, for some days he, talking about Paul, this is after, after he's met Jesus Christ, after his life has been changed. And it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man that made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? They're like, this, this is the guy that was persecuting the church. This is the guy that was imprisoning people. This is the guy that stood there as Stephen was stoned and was excited that he was going to be put to death. That was all for it. But this same guy has met Jesus Christ and now his entire life has been turned around. His entire perspective is different. And he is proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. God has transformed him. 
But those around him are like, Who is, are we sure? Are we sure he's for real? Are we sure that he's truly changed? Can we trust him? Or is he just here to persecute us? And so Paul spends time in the church. He spends time growing. He spends time with Christ. He spends time learning more and understanding the gospel. And God reveals that to him. And then Paul is sent out from the church to go and start new churches. To leave Jerusalem, to leave that area. And he goes and he takes one missionary journey. This first, can you go back to the slide? Uh, In 37, this large green bar, he begins his ministry in this first missionary journey. You can see in around 46 or 47. So Paul has this encounter with Jesus Christ. He grows in the church and then he's sent out to go and start new churches. And when we pick up here in Acts 16, it's just before Paul's second missionary journey. His second time to go out and to start churches, to share the gospel. And you guys can see in Acts 16, anything that I'm saying, I'm going to give you a summary. But please go back and read Acts 16. The entire chapter talks about what is happening when Paul starts this church in Philippi. And so Paul has this guy with him, Timothy. He has Silas. He has these other brothers that are with him, this team that is with him. And it says that in Acts 16 that he gets this vision. He has this dream and this man comes to him, this Macedonian, which is a European in that time. Okay? Paul had been in Asia. He had been close to Jerusalem, starting churches and planting churches. And now this man comes to him in a dream. And he says, please come to Macedonia. Please come to Europe. And so Paul and his team immediately respond and they make their way into Europe. He lands off the boat, not the plane. And he makes his way in and he goes to Philippi. And in Philippi, I want you guys to understand, Philippi was a, was a top-notch city. It was highly uh, aspired, like uh, privileged people lived in Philippi. It's like New York, L.A., okay? High-end cities, not, not. Uh, I don't want to say another city. Somebody might not Bakersville, right? <laughs> Sorry, Jake. All right, you know this is like this is like L.A. Okay, this is L.A. where there's power and there's where there's Hollywood and there's. Mo- it's not Bakersfield, okay? So that's where Paul makes his way. And it's a leading Roman colony. What does that mean? Okay, Rome in Italy was in charge. They had this empire. They were ruling and over this entire region. Everyone was under Roman rule. But this was in Greece, but they were a Roman colony. They were under the authority of Rome. And not only were they under the authority of Rome, but Caesar at that time had placed soldiers in Philippi. And he had placed them there so that the people in Philippi would stay loyal to Rome. So that Rome would have a presence. 
If you guys have ever lived close to a military base, it's a completely different experience. You go to Walmart and you see these guys in uniform, right? You know that they're here and their presence, that they have this control, they have authority there. They're here to protect us. They're here to rule over us in a sense, to, to care for us. It was very evident in Philippi. They knew as they saw these soldiers, as they saw these Roman representatives always there, always a part of their life, they knew they were under the authority of Rome. Everywhere they went, they knew Rome is in charge here. Rome is the authority. And it was also a place of high privilege, as I said. The Caesar had granted them the privilege of Roman citizenship. And that was unique. They had the rights of a Roman citizen. They had the same rights as if they lived in Italy and lived in Rome. And that meant they could buy land, they could sell land, they could make profit. They had certain legal rights that the non-citizens didn't have. And so this was a place of privilege. A well-known city. And Paul goes in, and he's there for a few days. And typically he would go and he would find a synagogue. He'd find this place where, where some Jews would gather. They would be receptive to, like they believe in God, and so they, he would start with them. But in Philippi, there were not enough Jews. He couldn't even find a synagogue. All right? There was no place where they were gathering. And so he wanders down to the river. And there's purpose behind that. If, if there weren't enough Jews for a synagogue, they might be down by the river because they would be performing some different rituals. And he goes down. I don't know who else he talked to, but what scripture says is he met this woman named Lydia. And he shares the gospel with her. And she responds. God changes her heart, it says. It says in her and her entire household. Okay? Not just, and that doesn't mean like her or she had a husband and a couple kids. This means like her entire extended family, her household, like multiple generations, those that were connected to her and walking with her and a part of her community. It says her entire household believed and were baptized. And I want you guys to get this. Paul goes to Philippi. This high class, privileged city. This place of power. This place of privilege. We can find some you know, people to start the church here. They're going to have money. They're going to have resources. They're going to have education. And he ends up talking to a woman down by the river. And that may not sound strange to us but I want you to understand the context of the first century Rome and what it means that Paul that it's recorded in the scriptures that Paul starts this church the first person to believe the gospel in all of Europe is this woman named Lydia so let me give you context to understand the perspective on women in the first century. I'll give you a, a Roman context or a perspective, a Greek 
from where they were, and then also a Jewish. Okay, so listen to these quotes. This is what was described in ancient literature, these philosophers, of what was the perspective about women. So do you understand what this means, that Paul starts the church with a woman? She's the first one to respond. A Roman philosopher, his name was Arius Didymus. He says that the, the ability to reason, the ability to think in a woman, it's inferior. He says in children, it doesn't yet exist. And in the case of slaves, it's completely absent. He says women are half-brains. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. He said women, they're half-brains. Like, right? They're half-brains. Well, children, like, you know, they're developing. They don't really have brains, but it's developing. And slaves, no brains at all. Okay? That was the perspective. That was the Roman perspective in that time. That's what people would have thought in Philippi. And where does Paul end up being? Down by the river, sharing the gospel with this woman. Let me give you a, a Greek philosopher, Aristotle. And many times he refers to in his writings and calls women deformed males. Okay? They're half brain. They're deformed males. Like they didn't finish developing. So that's a Roman philosopher, a Greek philosopher. Okay, well let's look, okay, let's look at a Jewish philosopher. You know, they may they had a better perspective. Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian. And he says, the woman in all things, not in some things, in all things, is inferior to the man. Alright? You guys get that? So wrap your mind around that and then now think about what we read in Acts 16 and that this is where Paul ends up and this is how Paul starts this church in Philippi. God chooses and God moves in the heart of this woman and you might say, well, I know Lydia and she was selling purple. She probably had money. It doesn't matter. She was a woman. She was a half-brain with money. She was inferior with money. Do you, do you understand? And this is who God chooses to use to start the church in Europe. It should amaze us. And so I want you to think about as we are here in Canoga Park, as we are here in Lanark Park, as God grows His church, do we come in and out of this building? Do we go in and out of the park? And do we overlook people and say, no way, no way, God can use them? Do we walk around people and say, no way, God can use them? Do we step over people sometimes and say, there's no way that God could use them? Did, did you experience that when we were at La Luz two weeks ago and we're out in the park and you're, you're looking at people and we're, we have this desire, we, we were telling you, build relationships, engage with people, have conversations. Do you, do you find yourself looking and saying, that one looks like they'll respond. I'm going to go talk to that one. No, that one, there's no way like 
There's no way God can change them. And so I want us to change our perspective. As we look at this church in Philippi, God starts it in this way. He uses who no one would have expected to start His church. And so we need to have the same perspective and not exclude people from what we think God is doing. We cannot exclude anyone. We have to be open to what God is doing and where He's moving. So don't make that judgment. So from there, the church starts. It says they continue going back and forth to the river. And then there's this little slave girl. I remember what I told you about slaves. No brains at all. She is possessed by the spirit. And the the men there were using her to, to basically tell fortunes. People would pay them so that she could tell them what was going to happen. She could tell them about their future. And she's following Paul and Timothy and Silas and the, the group, the team that was with them. And she's yelling out and screaming at them. It's like, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And it says she continues to do this. And she follows them everywhere they go, repeating this and repeating this and repeating this for day after day. And finally, it says Paul was so fed up, so frustrated, he finally cast the demon out of her. And she's free. Okay, it wasn't a very, like, it, as you read it in the scripture, it doesn't seem like a very holy thing he was doing. He was, he was, he was like, angry, like, like this, she is bothering me, like, please just come out of her and quit following me, this slave girl that's following me. And when she's freed, she responds to the gospel. Okay, this is what's recorded in Acts 16. First with the woman, then next with the slave. This is how God is building his church in Philippi. But because Paul does this, all these men that were using this slave girl to make money, they get angry and they get frustrated. I mean, they are upset. Like, you just took away our livelihood. We can't make money off of this situation anymore. And so they go to the leaders, they go to the government there in Philippi and they, they tell on Paul. And then the crowd gets riled up. The people get on that side. And they come. And it says literally that they strip Paul and they strip Silas. They, they tear off their clothing. And they begin to beat them and flog them right in the middle. Right in front of everyone. And then they put them in prison. You got that picture? Now how many of us at that point, here we are, we're going to plant this church. We're going to go to this powerful city. We've been here for a while and we've this, this, this woman by the river has responded to the gospel. This slave girl now is, is with us. And we just got beaten and flogged and put into prison. Man, we are right in the center of God's will. I mean, this is going well. Would any of us think that? Anybody? Uh, that's not my first thought. I'd be like, we're failing. Like, well, God isn't showing up. And what is He doing? And I just want us to ask as we look at this 
Do we think that God's will is always roses? Is always wow, everything is going perfect. Every door that I wanted to open is just open and I'm just walking through and God is just showing up? Or do we think that as we follow Christ, as we listen, and as we submit our lives to Him, that there could be difficulty? And that as the church grows, sometimes there's up, sometimes there's down. It's not that everything is going well all the time. At this situation, it doesn't look good. This is not how, I don't, I don't think Paul envisioned it this way. This is how the church in Philippi is going to start. But they're put in prison. And the next thing we read is that Silas and Paul are in prison. And does anybody know what they're doing? They're singing. They're in prison. It literally says they're chained. And it says they begin singing and praising and worshiping God. Is that our perspective when things are difficult? Is that our perspective when things don't go the way we planned for our family, for the church, for this neighborhood? Are we going to choose to praise God, choose to worship Him anyway? So they're in the jail, they're praising God, and then it says this earthquake. This earthquake comes, and the, 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 the jail cell, the, the door comes down, all of the chains are broken off of all of the prisoners. And then it says the guard, this Roman guard, part of the military, he sees the gate broken, he sees the chains that are broken, and he begins to get ready, basically to fall on his sword, to kill himself. Because he's failed at his job. Because he knows once the Roman government follows through with this, that's what they're going to do to him anyway. And before he does that, he hears the voice of Paul and Silas says, Wait, wait, we're all still here. And this Roman jailer says, I want to know this God that you serve. And it says he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to have faith. And it says his entire household, right? His extended family, his community, they respond to this gospel as he responded to it. So think back. This is the church in Philippi. The woman down by the river, the little slave girl, and this Roman jailer, this guard. You see later that they, they released Paul and Silas. They realized that he was a Roman citizen and they had treated him wrongly. And they asked him to leave the city. And it says they returned to Lydia's house, to her household. They encouraged the disciples there. And then they leave. So that's what the scripture says about this church in Philippi. Paul gets out of prison. They encourage the disciples and they take off. The church is in the hands of this household, this woman, this slave girl, and this household of this Roman soldier. And he takes off to Thessalonica and says, I'm going to start another church. That's the church plan. That's the team that was left there. That's what the scriptures speak of. There were other people, obviously, but this is what the scriptures speak to. 
And so I want us to understand that in context, understand that as we even read through this letter, as Paul is writing back to the Philippians 10 or 11 years later, this is the relationship he has with them. This is where this church started. This is how he knows them. And this is an explanation of what God has done there. And so again, even amongst us, when you think about, well, what part do I play in the church? What part do I play in Living Stones? And, and can God really use me? I mean, like, do I don't, maybe I don't have an education. Maybe I don't have the background. Maybe I didn't grow up in church. Like, can God really use me? What part do I have? And I would tell you, you have a huge part. That God has a place for each of us. He wants to work through each of our lives. He wants us each to be a part as He grows His church, as, as His kingdom advances, as Jesus Christ is made King amongst us. He wants you to be a part of that, no matter who you are, no matter what your background. And you play a valuable part. Each and every one of us. And so I don't want us not to believe that. And realize that I'm not saying that, that those with privilege or those with power or those with resources are excluded. I don't think that's what the scripture is saying here. But it's saying we need to include those who we think would not be a part. We need to be open to that and open to what God is doing. Okay, this is a point of inclusion, not exclusion. And so have that in mind as we read Philippians. Have that in mind as we consider ourselves. You guys okay? I mean, I love this. I don't know about you guys. I'm having a good time. Everybody with me? You feel like you understand a little bit more? You see the difference between L.A. and Bakersfield, right? right. So let me, let me move on. Staying just with now in Philippians, okay? We won't look at the history, but looking at those first two verses. With all that in mind, with all those thoughts, this is 10 to 11 years later, okay? Paul is writing now this letter to this church in Philippi. He's been on another missionary journey. He's been in prison now. He's being persecuted. He's chained again in prison, and he writes this letter to them. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to look in that verse and understand this letter is from a man that is identifying himself as a slave and it's to this group of people that he's identifying as saints. And I think that's important for us to recognize. Paul says, for me and Timothy, from Timothy and I, we're, we're servants, literally we're slaves of Jesus Christ. We are under His authority. What He is telling us to do, that's what we're going to do. We don't rule ourselves. He rules us. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say, this is the Apostle Paul. I am the man responsible for planting the largest percentage of churches in the first century. So much of the church growth and the church planning is due to me. 
I have suffered for Jesus. I have, I have proclaimed Jesus. People have responded to my message. He doesn't say I'm a leader among leaders. He doesn't say and give an example of everything that he's done, a, a resume. He says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And he always connects himself. Here he's writing this letter. And he says, Timothy and I. Paul and Timothy. It's not just me. It's these others that are with me. He always recognizes when he talks about himself, he talks about Timothy as well. He talks about those that are with him as well. It's not about him. It's not about this man, Paul. He says, I'm a servant and I'm with these others and we're writing to you. And so are we willing to identify ourselves in a similar way. I'm standing here before you, Brit. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's my identity. That's how I can speak to you and share to you. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. My relationship with Jesus has been restored. The Holy Spirit abides in me. I have faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter my background. It doesn't matter my education. It doesn't matter my experience. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. That's my authority. That's, that's, do we think the same way? Or do we say, well, I've been a Christian for 23 years. And I've read through the Bible three times. And, uh, you know, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, and, you know, I used to be all these things, but now I'm this, and is that how we think? Or do we think, I know Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I need. That's who I am. I want that to be our perspective. Can we have that perspective as Paul writes to this church, this church that he started? And that's how he presents himself. And then he says to the saints. And he doesn't say to a few of the saints. He doesn't say to specific ones or he doesn't say to the leaders. He says to all the saints with the overseers and deacons, with those that are leading the body. This is to all the saints. All those who are part of the church in Philippi. And so I want you guys to share with me what's your perspective about a saint. Describe what you think of a characteristic or a behavior. When you think of the word saint, someone who's a saint, what do you think of? Slow down. Cheerful? God fearing. I would say empowered. What's that? Empowered? All right. More? Humble? Right? Oh, wait, wait a second. You guys are giving all like church answers. Yeah. That's, that's not the point of this. Uh, those things, okay, okay. 
But how would okay say how would the world see if you said saint? What would they think? And this is not this is not Sunday school, okay? They don't smoke. No <laughs> fuman. They don't drink. They're perfect. Thank you. This is much better. Oh, there. Wait. There you go. Look it up on Google. See what you see. Ah, thank you. I know Isabella's thinking about the New Orleans Saints, right? I know. Uh huh. Uh, they're like uh, uh, not martyrs, but everybody gets what she's saying, right? Like they suffer, they they crawl on their knees, and they they don't eat, and they they dis- discipline themselves, right? They're serving a, a servant. Penance. That's a good. That's what you're saying, Grace, right? Like they're paying a penance. They're All right, they'll give you what you want. I'm not going to write that down. So, are you guys saints? I have surrender. Surrender. So look at these. Sorry, I didn't do them in Spanish as well. Are you guys saints? Anyone here a saint? Not according to this. So no one here is a saint. Does anyone know a saint? So there's two versions. There's two versions of saints. So when, when Paul writes here and he says to all the saints, what is he talking about? Those who are what? Those who are forgiven and accepted by Christ, believers, right? A follower of Jesus. So now, anybody here a saint? Okay. All right. When he says saint, this is not a term that talks about what you do. It's not a term that talks about what you don't do. It's not a term that talks about who you are or who you aren't. All that it means is do you or do you not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It is a relational term. Okay, It's about who, what is my identity? Am I a saint? Because of Jesus Christ... Or am I not? Am I a sinner? Okay? Let me explain. This doesn't mean that saints never sin. Okay? This is a, this is a, this is a noun, not a verb. Okay? It says, we are saints because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because by faith we've received what Jesus has done, with us, done for us on the cross. Or either we are not. That's it. Either you're a saint or you're not a saint. 
That's the only description. It doesn't matter how good you are, how holy you are, how perfect you are, what you do or what you don't do. It's do you know, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? By grace, have you responded to that? Have you received what Jesus Christ has done to you? If you have, then you are a saint. That's it. And so when he says to all the saints, he's writing to us. He's writing to those of us who are following Jesus Christ. He's writing to the saints in Philippi, and this is appropriate. This is good for us. Okay? Don't dismiss yourself and say, well, I'm no saint. Right? If you have received what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you are a saint. So have you come to that point? Have you come to that point where you realize that to qualify to be a saint, you have to agree that I am messed up and I am flawed. I have issues. There is no saint who didn't first come to the fact, come to the understanding that I am messed up. I am flawed. And if you look at your brothers and sisters, those who are saints with you, they're messed up and they're flawed too. And if they claim that they're not messed up and they're not flawed, then I don't think they're a saint. Because you've got to understand, this is who I am. And that I need a representative. I needed Jesus Christ to come and live the life that I should have lived and to die the death that I deserved so that I can have this place with Him, so that I can be a saint. If you don't get that, if you don't get that you are more sinful than you ever imagined, but yet you're more loved than you could ever dream, if you don't get those two extremes, if you haven't embraced that, you're not a saint. That's the qualification for being a saint. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about who Jesus is. And it's about what He's done. That's grace. We're saints by grace. So you're a saint. Your brother and sister are saints. And no matter how messed up, no matter how flawed you feel, if you know Jesus Christ, this is for you. He's speaking to you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the only thing standing between this being for you as he writes to the saints, is to realize that I am messed up, I am broken, I am in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ was God in flesh and came and lived on this earth and died on the cross in my place so that my relationship could be restored, so that I could be a saint. And so as I close, let me just give you guys of what's coming. A syllabus, in a sense, as we go through the book of Philippians over the next few months. And I promise we'll do more than two verses, you know, each Sunday. But I wanted us to have that perspective. I wanted us to understand what historically had gone on and who is Paul and who is this church in Philippi and what historically was going on with the Roman Empire and the different people that were living there. So just to give you guys, and I would encourage you to read through Philippians. 
as we did last week together as a body. It's four chapters. It'll take you 15, 20 minutes. Read through Philippians. Read through Acts 16. Okay, Acts 16 is all that overview I gave of how the church began, and then Philippians is what we're going to be studying. Read through that. Consider that with all that now new information that you have in your head as we walk through it verse by verse. But let me give you the main idea of this book, of this letter. And if you have been around church for a while, you know Philippians, it's a book about joy. The main theme is joy. But I think it's more than that. It's that we would have joy because we're gospel-centered. It's not just to have joy. It's to have joy because we're gospel-centered. Because we are focused on and we are thinking about and we find our identity in Jesus Christ. And so through this process, it talks about this process throughout the whole book. When you, when you begin and the process now and this process in the future, if we're following Jesus Christ, it's a process. And through that process, we can have joy if we are gospel-centered, if we are focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, if everything that we do and everything that we think is through that filter of Jesus Christ, then we can have joy in whatever the process looks like. And so that's the hope, is as we read this, we would, we would think that way, and we would be united as we think that way. And that God would change and transform us, not just our minds, but our lives and our behavior and how we respond, how we feel. Because at everything, each and every time, Jesus Christ is at the center. And that's how I define everything else. And that's how I have this joy that doesn't go away. This joy that remains. Alright? Everybody with me? Everybody going to read Philippians this week? Thank you. And uh, thank you guys too for your prayers. Um, it was so encouraging, the, the texts and the calls and the meals that have come and are coming. And um, I was with Trent last night and just telling him like how amazing it is to have this serious event happen and know that my family is taken care of, to know that we're taken care of, to know that we have all these relationships, all this support for us. It is an amazing place to be. And so thank you guys um, for your care. Thank you for your prayers um, as we went through that last week. And I'm thankful my wife is sitting here with me. All right, let me pray. And then as I pray, Brittany will come up to finish us with one more song of worship. Father God, I ask that you would change that you would transform our perspective. God, that we would be overwhelmed because of the privilege that you have made available for us, the privilege that you have given us to be saints. That you would pursue us and that you would restore our relationship with you. 
God, just overwhelm us with that. Let us think on that. Let us talk about that, Lord. What, what does that mean to be a saint? And God, that it would be all about you. Jesus, it is not about us. It is about you. It is about who you are. It is about what you've done. And so God, would you just give us that perspective and understand the privilege that we have as your sons and as your daughters as saints here in the church at Livingstone. God, please, I pray that as we walk through this book and as we consider your word, God, that you would transform us, that you would grow us in love, Lord, that we would be like-minded, focusing on you, gospel-centered, and that you would transform our lives. God, that you would transform this family, this body, and that, God, you would transform this neighborhood. God, may we depend completely on you. God, thank you that you show us this. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us and you've given us your word. And we don't have to guess, God. We can see in your word. Thank you for showing yourself to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.